couldn't have planned it to work any better because we have their problem. We have, we have an ambition to grow, I hope. I hope we have that healthy ambition to grow that we want to be more like Christ. Put that right there to remind me. But, but we also sometimes will assume, could we possibly assume that we have grown more than we actually have? I love David's excitement. He can't wait to be six foot because I couldn't either. I, I, I loved it. I was, I was the smallest kid in my class year after year after year. Finally, sophomore year in high school, long after I'd given up any hopes of basketball, sophomore year in high school, I came back and I may have been a foot taller when those kids last saw me. All of a sudden, I had one of those just growth spurts, right? Finally, 10th grade, it finally happened. Well, I was, I was six foot, and then I was six foot one. But along the way, I'd get back to, I'd show up at the doctor's office again, and they'd put this, you know, scale, they'd, they'd measure me, and they would, they would uh, you know, they'd weigh me, they'd measure me, they'd put the thing up, and it comes across and touches the head, and I don't know if my hair was thinning or what, but all of a sudden, I wasn't six foot one anymore. All of a sudden, I'm only six foot and a half. And I'm like, what? When are you going to get your tape measure thingy fixed? It can be right. I've always been 6'1". Well, I found out that I'm uh, more solid and compact than I was before. <laughs> I think uh, part of it was lost right out of that last disc in my spine. You know, it's just not what it was before. But I don't know how that happens as we grow a little older and we begin to settle a little bit. Maybe there's something there for we who are older, we often think of terms of spiritual growth and even discipleship for those who are younger in faith. Is there such a thing as discipleship and spiritual growing? Is there that next step in spiritual growth? Is there another inch to add for those of us who have known the Lord for a long time? And I think that there is. This, this study in 2 Corinthians has been about authentic discipleship, being real about walking with and growing in Christ. And, and as, as we close that study in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, and if you're going to be following along in the, in the, in the, in the, in the church Bible there in front of you, you can, you'd find us on page 971. But in 2 Corinthians 13, as we, as we read into this last, last chapter, we're going, to, we're going to be reminded that of three things, actually. There's, there's three moves, there's three paragraphs that I want to kind of spend time on. One of them is a little... Unclear. It's kind of odd the way the Paul seems to be using an Old Testament or a gospel quote the way that he's using it. There's a, there's a, a, a bit of a scary paragraph, one that's often misunderstood in ways that would cause us to perhaps question, maybe doubt, am I really saved or not? And then it closes with some very practical things that we can follow in. So the outline that I've given you breaks that down into a reminder that accountability is coming. Sooner or later, somebody's going to show up with a tape measure, okay? Accountability is coming. That's what Paul is telling this church. And because accountability is coming, he poses the question to them to evaluate, to take inventory, how well are you following? Take inventory. He says, examine yourselves so that you know how you are going to measure up if accountability is coming. And then, in wanting to measure up, then he reminds them, he wraps up sort of his exhortations through the letter 
in some bite-sized pieces that we can grab hold of as we continue walking with Christ in discipleship, follow Jesus in these ways. So with those movements in mind, I invite you to follow along in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 as I read. Verse 1, chapter 13, 2 Corinthians, this is the third time that I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but he is powerful among you, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. So then examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. I hope you'll, you will find out that we have not failed the test but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test out of your actions, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong, your restoration, your completion, your growth is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. So three moves. First of all, he says accountability is coming. And when Paul says accountability is coming, or when I say that for Paul, I'm referring particularly in the context with Paul's soon visit among them. He's going to visit them for a third time. And he says, he, he describes his visit in these terms. I'm coming to you, he says, let every charge, let the things that I have said concerning you and the concerns that I have had about you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry before him, the things that I've been concerned about, let these be established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now certainly that's a, a reference out of the law of Moses. It's also a reference out of Jesus' words, his application of the law in Matthew 18 when he describes in the assembly of believers what to do if you've been wronged. First of all, you go to the brother, you go to the sister, and you, you speak to them concerning how they have wronged you. If... If they, if they agree with you, then you've won your brother, you've won your sister. Relationship restored, we're walking on together and it's wonderful. If they don't hear you then, well, he says then bring another or, or two so that every, by, by two or three witnesses, everything will be confirmed. He doesn't mean go tell somebody else about it and then, then bring them with you. He means bring somebody else with you who's observed the same thing. Somebody else, outside, I know I have difficulty with this. Sometimes somebody will tell me something and I'm pretty sure it's them. 
I'm pretty sure that's their perception because of what's going on with them. It's nothing to do with me. I'm fine, thanks. But I find that when two or three people are telling me the same thing, I have to listen. There's something here, and I need to learn from it. That's helpful to me, that two or three witnesses. I think that would be helpful. And I like the grace involved here. First, just go yourself. Don't involve anybody else. Don't make it any bigger than it needs to be. And what if, what if Bob listened better? What if Bob was more sensitive? What if Bob would, would take in when simply one person told me, and it didn't have to be two or three? But Bob's not wired that way. Bob's pretty hard-headed. Bob, Bob, Bob stays on track and focus, and it's going to take a bit of interruption to get his attention. And uh, so God has made a way for that, not only for me, but for some of you. Some of you could give me a, a, a run for the hard-headed award, I, I suspect, okay? So I don't think I, I, don't think I have, a, have a, um, a monopoly on that. And so this is his method, and Paul uses it here. He said, he said I, I, I was already with you before. I warned those. He said, I warned them in my second visit, that painful visit. We confronted things together there. I have also now written to you again in this letter. That's witness number two. And the third, when I come again, that'll be the third witness to you. That'll be the third time I come to confront these things. And by then, we need to deal with it. This is not merely for the Corinthian church. It's for us. Accountability is coming Paul is coming in the authority of Christ to them, but our accountability is perhaps somewhat greater because our Lord is coming for his church. That's why Paul's concerned about them, because the Lord is coming. We have an accountability. We will answer. Either, either we will come before him or he will come and gather us all together. One way or another, we are going to stand before the Lord. All will appear before that bema seat of Christ. And there we'll be examined. We'll be examined for, for reward and, and for how we have been fitted for what kind of stewardship and responsibility into eternity. I don't know about you, but, but I suspect you long to hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things I give you charge over many. That's what we want to hear. Not that we want to be in charge. That often gets in the way. But I want to be faithful to the Lord who saved me. So in whatever he sets into my hands, I want to be faithful with that because I want to, I want to honor him with that. The Lord is coming. And Paul is exhibiting something about our Savior when he says that he's willing to come and confront if, that what it's, if that's what it takes. Ben Witherington put it this way, Paul is ready to spare the rod, but he is not willing to spoil the child. You catch that? Paul doesn't want to come and use his authority at all. He'd rather it doesn't have to take that. He'd most rather they hear this letter so he doesn't have to come and rebuke them again in person. He doesn't want another painful visit. That's why he's given them time. The Lord gives us time. He is coming, be sure of that. But he gives us time. He graciously gives us time, and he's written a letter. 
He's given us this book. He's given us this word. And, and God preserved these writings in particular and thus these letters to certain churches in particular and not all the letters that the apostles wrote, but these ones in particular because they were intended, even when they were written, not just for that church in that context, but they were intended by God to be used for the building up of his church through the age. Today, he's giving us time before he comes, that we would respond well to what he's written. Let the word of God confront us. Let the word of God challenge us. Not in the way that I'm reading it for somebody else, but let the word of God challenge us for ourselves. Listen in to challenges that you receive from others that align with God's words. And especially when the, when the Spirit of God begins to poke you from one place that you read. And you say, hmm. And then you're reading along and somewhere else, maybe it's days later, you read somewhere else and it pokes you again. It's the second time. How many times will it take? You know, I'm amazed at Paul's perseverance here with this church. I would expect him to move on. I would expect him to go plant more churches and, and worry about them and write to them and move on from Corinth. But he doesn't. He won't let go. He's in the middle of a, of a, of a, a great and healthy situation in Ephesus and yet he won't let go of Corinth. That's our Savior with us. The terrifying thing to me would be if I continue to not listen. A faithful friend might stop bringing it up. If I continue to stop, to not listen, my wife may stop telling me that thing which I need to hear. If I continue to not listen, God may stop bringing it up and just leave me there. And that scares me more than anything else. I I have got to tune my ear, tune my heart to hear God's voice out of his word because the, the worst thing that could happen for me is God stops bringing it up and he lets me be where I've insisted on being. And I won't grow further in that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul's coming to them and he'd, he'd rather come in weakness. He'd rather come in humility and gentleness. He'd rather not come with authority and correction. And yet his power, he comes with the, with the power and the authority of Christ. There's something there for us, even in the lives of one another, and especially in our prayer together, and why we wanted as a church to be praying for our community, because there's an authority that God has given his church. He said... Where two or three are gathered, I'm there with you. And whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. There's an authority that we have to, to approach the throne of grace in heaven on behalf of people around us. It seems like a weak thing. The thing that is the most powerful, we can often push aside as the, well, I can't do anything else, all I can do is pray. And that's where the power actually is. In my weakness, then I am strong. Then I ask God to work 
directly, to intervene by the power of his spirit according to my request. Accountability is coming, and because accountability is coming, that means we want to, in a sense, it says elsewhere, judge ourselves lest we not be judged. That we want to examine ourselves. We want to say, well, how is it going? How do I really measure up? David thought he was six foot tall. He probably really didn't think so. It's probably his ambition that he was, he was sharing with us all. But the tape told the truth. David's not six foot tall. Not yet. He might be. He might be headed there. There's things he could do to stunt his growth. There's things he could do to strengthen his growth. And his parents... His grandparents, they're looking out for David to help him grow into all that he could be, not merely physically, but spiritually as well, right? That's how God's family works. That we look out for one another. That we protect one another from stunted spiritual growth that we might grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we will examine ourselves. And that often takes more eyes than two. It takes more than my own two eyes oftentimes to do that well. Examine yourselves. How well then am I following? And that's verses 5 through 10. And this is a passage that's somewhat scary to us because it's been used, I think, I think it's been misused to focus on by how you're following, are you saved or not? If you're following well, then you're probably saved. If you're not following well, then maybe you're not saved at all. But that doesn't seem to be what he's saying here. First of all, the word for examine, and then he parallels that with a word for test or prove. And that's not how that word prove in particular is used other places. And then he reminds them himself. He says, don't you realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. If you, if you read the opening line of this letter, back in chapter 1 and verse 1, he, he addresses this church, all of them together, as genuine believers in Christ. He goes much further in his first letter to the same group of people, and he goes on about how God has, has not neglected to give them any spiritual gift, and talk about God's work, God's choosing of them, and God's work in and among them. He seems to go over the top concerning the spiritual state of a group of Christians that have very real problems, as that first letter describes in detail. One problem after another. And, and yet, there is no question in Paul's mind there concerning their faith in Christ, his choosing of them, and the work that he is doing in them. So I don't think that's the point of what he's saying here. He's saying, examine yourselves, see if what you are doing, even how you are resisting God's messenger, God's apostle, see if does that line up with Christ who is in you. Are you living out that, what, that which you believe? One of the men in our morning Bible study which, by the way, you want to read that bulletin because there's a change. If you show up here tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., it's because you didn't read the bulletin, as, as Bob suggested that you might want to. But in, 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 in that group, one of the guys said, you know, this is kind of like with my, with my older kids, I'll, 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 sometimes I'll ask them, instead of telling them what they should do in this situation or that, I'll ask them. I'll say, well, how does that line up with what you know about Christ? How does that line up with your faith in Jesus? What would be the Christ-like thing to do here in that situation? 
And he's, he's putting it back on that. Examine yourself in relation to your faith because as they're growing up, we, we, we have to get to the point that we'll respond to the Spirit's leading and not merely be told by others what to do. That's true in a family. That's true in God's family bringing one another up. So examine yourself. The word means to test or to prove, to bring out what is already there. It's the same word that was used in the Greek, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament with Abraham in Genesis 22. God wasn't finding out what Abraham would do. God knew what Abraham would do in Genesis 22 when he willingly brought his son up that hill and would have offered him as God had instructed him to do if God had not stopped him and offered a substitute in his place. And the gospel is played out there for us. And God knew it all from the beginning. And he was actually showing Abraham what was in Abraham. He's showing all of us what was in Abraham. God already knew what was in Abraham. It's, it's used along with this other word, this tokiomazo, to prove, to show what is really there. It's a word that was used to, to test gold, not because you doubted if it was genuine or not, but to prove that it was. It was used to prove a, a team of oxen. You're going to buy these oxen. They look really good. They're big. They're strong. Look at the muscles on this guy. Man. And, and so, okay, you're ready to go. And so just, well, let's just hook them up to the team and make sure they can really pull. You fully expect that they can pull that, that load, and you want to buy them, and so you're just proving it. When I bought my Jeep from somebody, I, I realized when I was going to pick it up and give the money and take the, take the Jeep, I hadn't actually tried it in four-wheel drive because we've been driving in hard surfaces and I didn't want to, you know, when you turn on hard surfaces, there needs to be some slip and some give with four-wheel drive systems. And so I didn't want to, you know, mistreat somebody else's car when I was test driving it. So on a straight, even though it was a hard surface, before I gave over the check and drove the car home, I wanted to put it in four-wheel drive and I wanted to roll it forward and roll it backward and make sure that worked too. Not because I doubted that it did, but I wanted to prove what I assumed to be true was actually true. I found a ring. Well, I didn't find a ring. Somebody found it here in the church, but I've got it now. And it's a whopper of a rock. Look at that. That's a lot of glitter on that band. That's a big stone, it looks like. In fact, if this is a diamond, I don't think I would still have it because some of you, somebody here would have asked about it. Somebody would have said, I lost something and I hope you found it. Because if this was a diamond, a, a, a genuine diamond, it would be worth thousands. Oh, you, maybe you meant to put it in the offering. I suspected, I suspected that it was not authentic. I suspected if I ran it along glass, and somebody's going to tuck me afterwards and say, you know, that's actually not the best and definitive test about the genuineness of a dime. Okay, just work with me here. I suspected already that it was not a genuine diamond when I ran it across my window. I didn't believe I was risking my window at all, and there is yet no scratch on my window. It's a very nice ring, by appearance, but I proved what I already knew, that it wasn't an authentic diamond, okay? What Paul is telling us here is to examine ourselves, take inventory, get out the measuring tape now. Again, what, what is our measuring tape? Our measuring tape is the description of Christ in his word, his instructions to us as his children to walk this way. How am I doing really? And yet, 
And yet we are in this fallen condition where the heart is deceitfully wicked and no man can know it. How do I know? How do I know I'm not just kidding myself? I'm fooling myself. How do I know that I'm not doing a David and saying that I'm six foot tall when I'm just under four? How do I know? I need brothers. I need sisters. We need to be growing together with other growing believers. We need to be connected. One of our emphasis this year is that we greatly increase among our church the connection that we have with others in relationships where they know me and I know them. And these are people that will uphold me and encourage me and pray for me. And these are people that will tell me straight. There's something here, brother or sister. Those of you that are married, check in with your spouse now and again. Can you tell me, have you seen something that that you would lovingly suggest this is an area that I could grow in? They know you well. I don't know, but I suspect they may be able to come up with something. Okay? And, and And it's so much nicer when it's invited like that. And if it's invited like that, I hope the, the describing and the telling will be just as gentle and considerate. Oh boy, let me tell you. No, no, no. Let's, 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 let's ease off a little bit. Let's be kind and gentle with one another. But examine yourselves. I need to know what I don't see about me. You need to know what you don't see about you. And that's for eternity. There's much at stake here. We want to grow. We want to more reflect Jesus to the people around us. And we will help one another to do that as we're involved in one another's life. Examining one another. Examining ourselves for the purpose of growing. Manifesting Christ-likeness. Paul says, I hope you'll see that we haven't failed the test. That he has been manifesting that Christ-likeness in his gentle, patient perseverance with them. His hesitancy to confront, but his willingness to do so. His not wanting to quickly exert power and authority, but to extend to them the opportunity to adjust and to self-correct. Paul's point here is look to Jesus and self-correct before correction comes upon you. Because Hebrews 12 tells us that God is faithful to discipline his children. God is faithful to get a hold of us one way or another. He says, examine yourselves in terms of advancing or opposing the truth. He says in verse 8, in verse 8, let me find it again, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. God's truth is our standard. It's not what I think. It's not merely my opinion. It's what does God's word say? And how am I measuring up in light of this? What does God's word say? Paul's desire is that they live in truth. Remember we shared last week how, how John said, nothing greater than this, when I see, when I hear of my children walking in the truth. And as a parent of adult children, I can, I can attest to that. There's nothing that thrills Julie and I's heart more when we hear good things, good news, spiritual steps being taken by our kids. There's, there's nothing that grandparents enjoy more than hearing of children and grandchildren walking with Christ, growing in him. Paul would rather not show his, his aim, he says in verse 9, his aim is for their restoration. We're glad, even if we are weak, if you are strong, your restoration, your healing, your com- completion, your perfecting, that's what we pray for. 
your spiritual healing and progress. That's Paul's desire. That's, that's our desire for one another. It's not to critique. Easily we get in this situation where we're examining one another only to see faults because in the faults of others we feel a little better about ourselves. The point is never how high have I climbed. The point is whom have I lifted That's our aim together. Who have we lifted up in advancing in their spiritual lives? And in giving ourselves away for the sake of others, that's where we grow. Accountability is coming. So then we examine ourselves, and we do that best together. We examine ourselves. It's a plural, it's a plural verb. It's a plural command with, with ourselves. Yourselves is, is, is emphatic. Yourselves examine. They've been spending all their time examining Paul. So yourselves examine for your own good. And then follow Jesus these ways. Follow Jesus in these ways. And he closes off with, with some specific, specific particulars that kind of wrap up the letter as a whole. But if we boiled it down to, to save you reading back through again, and I hope you'll do that, one of the things about spending a long time in a series like this is we can kind of lose sight of the big picture again. And so to, to wrap it up and to go back through and read again, now having some new insights here and there along the way, let God's word speak to us. But he gives, he, he says, ultimately, finally, follow Jesus these ways. First of all, he says, rejoice or seek joy. Reminds me of in Philippians, he does the same thing. It's not merely finally, last thing I'm going to say. He is wrapping up the letter here, but that's not, that's not the thrust of the word because he uses it, for instance, halfway through the book of Philippians. He's still got a lot more to say. Important stuff to say, and yet, finally, or ultimately, rejoice. He repeats it in verse 4 of chapter 4, the same letter. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Telling us a little bit more about, a little bit more of what he's compacted in here, that we need to rejoice rather than critique, and our rejoice, our joy is centered in the Lord. Rejoice in what God is doing. Rejoice in who the Son is in us and for us. Rejoice in him. It's been said that the more we focus on Christ in our own lives, the more we focus on Christ and who he is and what he's done for us, that has its own perfecting work. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, we behold him as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And seeing him, we are being transformed into the same likeness from glory to glory by the Spirit. You say, I want to grow. I want to take next steps in spiritual progress. One of the best things you can do is focus on who is your Lord? Who is your Savior from his word? Say, God, as you open that word up, one of, the, one of your aims when you're devotionally reading is to, Lord, show me something more about yourself. Show me something more about Jesus here. And as you fix your eyes on him, as the song says, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That will self-correct. He says, aim for restoration. Rejoice in verse 11, aim for restoration, aim for that healing, aim for that growth of one another, press toward Christ perfecting, or more colloquially, get your act together. Take it seriously, press on to God's perfection. 
Spiritual growth to maturity. What smaller group are you a part of where others, others know you? You're known to them. And you're growing together. You've heard me say this before, growing together with other growing believers. That's what I want you to use this bulletin for. I want you to use that bulletin and say, what opportunity here am I taking advantage of? What am I going to join myself to and, and, and be a part of it that I might be growing with other growing believers there? And that growing with other growing believers is important. It's not just social connection. It's who is growing. Because... Uh, Again, going back to that Monday morning group of guys we talked together about the message, one of the guys pointed out several weeks ago, he said something he told his children, and it, and, it, and it gave him pause. He said, you will be the average of your four or five closest friends. You will be like them. Those whom you spend time with, those who you listen to, they are going to have their effect upon you. And so who are you spending some time with? That doesn't mean you isolate yourself from people who you think might drag you down, but if you want to influence others, be yourself influenced by people that you respect, people that you have confidence in, people who are walking with the Lord, growing together with other growing believers. Use that bolt and not. These are things going on at the church. These are activities. These are opportunities to connect with others, growing and serving. That's why so much effort is 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 put into putting that out that it'll be in your hands that you can take advantage of it. Encourage one another or comfort one another. Depending on your version, it could be encourage, comfort, or it could be exhort. This is that parakaleo word. This is that calling alongside. It's the name given, the noun form of it is a, is a name given to the Holy Spirit. This is his ministry. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit encourages us. He says, come on, lifts us up. And he sometimes confronts us. He exhorts us. All of that is wrapped into it. It's kind of like the coach who, who, who runs alongside, running with the athlete, kind of alongside on the sidelines there, shouting and encouraging them, come on, you got this, you can do this, pulling them on a little further, pulling the best out of them. That's what's wrapped up in that word. That we would encourage one another, not just say, you know, it'll be all right, don't worry, it'll be okay. But encouraging us to Give of ourselves in ways that hurt because it will be worth it all. Be of the same mind. Agree with one another doesn't quite capture this same-mindedness as a discussion. And Paul, again, unpacks it very well in the Philippian church. He says, let this mind. He says, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any joy, if there's any encouragement and so on, he says, to be of the same mind. He says, let this mind be in you, Philippians 2, that was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to unpack that mind. Be like-minded together, but not just of any old mind. Be like-minded in the mind of Christ. Spiritual growth comes, according to Romans 12, in the renewing of our minds together. Being one-minded, we practice this in the church among an elder board. We have a, we have a plurality of elders. I'm one of, of a group of seven elders in the church. And the purpose of that is if you've got seven strong-willed guys, if somehow they all get oriented together in the same direction, you can have some confidence the Holy Spirit has been at work here. The Holy Spirit has guarded, and our wives would say, yeah, amen, that's true. So that, that uh, you know, Bob has, has a tendency to come up with some crazy ideas at times. I need those men to help me to know, is this just another one of the, my crazy ideas that's passing through and slips out, escapes? 
out into public where everybody can see it? Is, or is this something that the Spirit is leading us in? And there, our input together, seeking that one mind of Christ in leading this church. There's a, there's a safety there. That again, that connection together, that, that happens in our leadership, that will strengthen all through our body if we practice it together. Pursue peace, and the God of peace will be with you. Pursue peace. Christ put it this way in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. In pursuing peace with others, not conflict, not winning, not getting it my way, but pursuing peace, it's there that you see God. There is the mind of Christ who stepped down from heaven, who humbled himself, and who, who made it so that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we practice that, as we then practice peacemaking and giving of ourselves in the same way, holding our perspective loosely, holding our wants and desires loosely in open hands, pursuing peace, and the God of peace will be with you. You will see God, as Jesus put it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. There's a God-likeness there. That's Matthew 5, 9. And then he says, embrace one another with a sanctified affection. Or, in the words of Paul himself, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I was watching as you came in this morning. I didn't see that. Okay? I didn't see a lot of the greeting with a holy kiss going on. I know you want to be careful in the Me Too movement. You know, be careful how, how, how far you go. But, but certainly, there's a Greek culture thing. There's a Near East culture thing. They, they even practiced that a bit in Southern Africa in ways that was a little bit beyond my comfort levels. Okay? I come from the, the Scandinavian Pacific Northwest where a, a handshake is considered getting really close, all right? I don't know where this hugging thing leaked in, but uh, okay, we're, we're tolerating it, okay. But, but there, there should be, within the family of Christ, there needs to be that welcoming affection. Let me go back to our small groups one more time. There's four W's. You've heard me talk about this before, I hope, but I'm going to say it again because I don't say the same things enough. There, there are four things that we want to include in, in any kind of smaller group ministry they have. We want there to be a welcome. We belong together. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came. I'm noticed by others. These people will pray for me. There's a welcome belonging element. There is a worship aspect. This is a, a Christ-centered, God-centered time together. There is a place then where we hear from our God, from his word. This is word-centered. And there is a work component that we want God to do his work in us and through us. That, that we want that examining one another and growing together aspect. Responding to God's word. That first one I mentioned is often assumed, and it can be merely on a social level. But we embrace one another, we receive one another, because we are brother and sister together. We are family together. And you don't know, brothers and sister, how much somebody else here this morning needs you to look them in the eye and tell them, really, it is nice to see you. I'm glad you're here. I've been thinking about you this week. How's it going? Putting your arm on somebody else's shoulder praying together, that welcoming embrace. We desperately need that. And all the more in a world where we feel more isolated than other, ever before, but we belong to one another in the family of God. Keep it holy. Greet one another with a holy kiss, but embrace one another truly.
He closes with an assurance that I think, again, speaks to, again, this whole examining one another, the examining ourselves is for the purpose of spiritual growth, not are you in or are you out. He closes with a benediction that, that comes out of, flows out of the Trinity. All of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is involved in your salvation and sanctification in terms of forgiveness, in terms of loving acceptance in security, and in terms of participating together in what God is and will be doing. That's a wonderful thing to realize together in those closing words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness in Christ, the love of God, security and full acceptance there, and the fellowship, the shared participation together in the same Holy Spirit. I want to invite you, as we approach the offering now, in terms of even some of those participations, something that he said, I, I will be a part of this, I have been a part of this, or I am going to be a part of this. Or I want to connect, I want to serve. You're going to use that white card to make a commitment. This is where I'll connect. This is where I'm going to be growing with other growing believers. It may be a connection that's not even in the bulletin that maybe I'm not even aware of. But we'll pray for you there. But I want us to take a next step. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we should do that. So, uh, let's take a step now. Even if you're not sure where it is yet, let's, let's, let's take a type of commitment. And writing that down on that card, making that part of your offering, my commitment to join in with others that will grow together. That we will spend and be spent for the souls of others. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you to do your work among us. We do ask for you to use us, but Father, we don't want to be merely, merely be used. We want to grow. We want to know our God and Savior more. We want to be used by you. We want to participate in the glorious work that you are doing in the lives of others. Father, we thank you for that. And we ask, Father, that even now in these next steps, there, there are people in this room that are going to take a next step in terms of I'm going to connect with others. I'm going to give myself to others for my good and theirs. Lord, would you bear your fruit out of that? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.